we're going to read a, a little bit from uh, 2 Timothy. Shane started last week on, on 2 Timothy, um, just opening the very first two verses. Um, and Shane was talking about the relationship that Paul had with Timothy, calling him his beloved son, uh, and expressing yeah, just the relationship and Paul's love for him, his dependence on him, uh, and how special it was to him. We're going to continue that this week. We're going to just read from verse 3 down to verse uh, 7, verse 3 to 7 in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And Paul writes to Timothy, he says, I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And, and that's God's word to, through Paul to, to Timothy, but it's also to us. And so we're going to take a look at it. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on us. Father, we truly believe that the Apostle Paul wrote these words many years ago as words of guidance, encouragement to Timothy. Um, but, oh God, if your word is written by the Holy Spirit, if it is the word of God, it is eternal. And so it is still relevant to us 2,000 years later. I pray, O oh gracious God, that as we take just a little time this morning in the study of your word, that we would give deep thought to it and consider how we apply it to our lives. For gracious God, you have written it on paper, but we pray you would write it on our hearts, that we would soak it in and take to heart what you have spoken to us this morning. Bless us. Thank you for those who have contributed so far. Thank you for Pat reading so well this, the story of the, the talents, the, the master who was trusting his servants. Lord, you're trusting us also with this precious gospel. Cause us to live it out in our lives. And bless us now as we spend time together in the study of your word. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, as I said, Shane last week spoke a little bit about um, the, Paul's relationship with Timothy. But this week, we're, we're going to look a little bit at, at uh, Timothy's parents, uh, how it shaped him, both for good or otherwise, and, and his relationship with, with Paul on top of that. But focusing on, on heritage here, Paul begins with thanks for his own spiritual heritage. Um, he mentions how he... Basically, he grew up in a Jewish home, a very, very orthodox, very conservative home. Uh, the, he, the nation of Israel, the people of God, who were given the law, God's law, so they would know what God is like. Um, and the people were serving him faithfully in as much as they knew. But Paul rejoices in, in the godly background that he has. Though Paul wasn't a believer growing up, not a, a Christian, not a, uh, he, he, he had a deep love for, for the law, a deep love for what he knew of God, but he didn't know God personally. Um, he grew up studying the law, being taught of the holiness of God. He's appreciative of that. Um, and his accountability to God, 
that one day he would stand before him. And though, as I say, he only became a, a believer later in, in his adult life, his Jewish heritage was a, a really strong foundation on which to, to build his life um, for future service. And as I say, he hadn't been a true believer in Jesus growing up, um, but he, we should, what I'm saying is basically we should never take for granted the, the home that we grew up in. If you grew up in a Christian home, thank God for that. I'm sure your parents are far from perfect, but if you grew up in a Christian home, be sure and thank God whatever the background, because God is able to use both the good and the bad to shape you into the person that he wants you to be. And as we look at that this morning, we'll see how God challenges us to use what we have, what gifts we have for his glory. And Paul is looking at what shaped he himself to make him the, the person he is. Paul was a very, very strong personality. And, and what made Timothy the person he is, because Timothy was not a strong personality, it seems. But to ask yourself, what sort of person are you? What makes you the person you are? Because there are sometimes, I, I suspect you may be like me, and you think, I wish that I was more, I, I have to confess, um, I, I sometimes wish I had more of Shane's leadership abilities. Shane was thanking God for me this morning. We, we work well together. I'm not a confident person, even up front like this. Uh, I'm not a leader by nature. And I sometimes wish, you know, I wish I was like this or like that. Um, and do you sometimes wish that you had been born in different circumstances, different situation, that you had more natural gifts in, in this or that? And sometimes you'll think, well, maybe if I was married to someone else, she'd be more encouraging for me or he'd be more encouraging to me. Um, or you think I'd be happier in such a situation? Because all of us is thinking, as, as Shane said coming in, you know, when he was introducing his prayer, he was saying, maybe you think you're a fraud here this morning. We all have doubts and fears in our lives. But if I was born in different circumstances, I think maybe life would have been much better. I could have served God so much better if only I had been born in different situation. And this is a personal letter that Paul has written to Timothy um, with a lot of information that we can garner about Timothy from it. It gives us an insight into the personality he is. It gives us, we see what shaped him and how God um, uses him both because of the person he is and despite the person he is. Both because of the person he is and despite, and you may be like that, can God use me? And it gives us an insight and it gives us lessons to challenge what are we doing with our lives, with the gifts we have given, God has given us. Um, and we learn quite a lot about Timothy. And this first thing you notice here, he's emotional. Paul thanks God for the tears that Timothy shed when they were parting. Um, he shed tears. Now, very often as men, we would think tears are a sign of weakness. Men don't cry. Real men don't cry. And that's the, the Western world. We tend to think like that. But for Paul, in the circumstances he's in, when they were parting, he was looking back thinking, thank God for Timothy. Thank God for the tears because that encourages, it makes me realize I mean a lot to him. And Paul was so single-minded in the gospel that I suspect he often felt, does anybody care about me on earth? Because Paul was, I, I would say he was a difficult personality. So very dynamic that he could possibly trample on people 
in, in wanting to get his way. And I'm sure he must have wondered, does anybody really care about me? Because later in life, as we'll go through this letter, we'll see that everyone has deserted Paul. He's on his own in prison. Only Luke is with him. I'm lonely, he's saying to Timothy. But the thought of those tears, that sign that we would see a sign of weakness, and yet for Paul, it was so rich, so encouraging. But that was the person Timothy was, a, a soft-natured person. But it gives us a hint of, of Timothy, perhaps the, the emotional and, and the weak man. Now, Timothy's mom and his granny were both believers, Lois and Eunice. Um, and they had at some stage, they, they were Jewish, they grew up with the law, just as Paul did. And at some stage, they came to a personal faith in Jesus as their savior. But in their lives, they kept pointing Timothy, saying, look to Jesus. And, and Paul says, the faith that was in your grandmother and in your mother, and now I believe is in you also. And, and he's saying, they pointed you to Jesus. They had been gripped by the gospel, the wonder of the good news, and they wanted to pass it on to the next generation. And I know that many of you here are parents, and some of you are grandparents like myself, and no doubt I'm sure you want to see your children come to faith in Jesus. And, but you're also thinking, well, I want to prepare them for this world, because it's a rough world out there. And so you teach your children how to look after themselves. You want to make sure they're educated. You want to make sure they are successful. You want them to be successful. And yet Jesus warned us about our priorities. He said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his eternal soul? And it's a serious warning. Because I can tell you from my stage in life that life goes quickly. Perhaps you're realizing it yourself. The years go so quickly. Eternity lasts forever. But it's not just for you. It's for your children. And whatever you do, make sure that you prioritize your children's spiritual well-being. Yes, you can bring them to gymnastics, you can bring them to soccer, you can teach them music, you can teach them the good education, prepare them in every way. But your children, they will one day, they will pass away into eternity as well. And all the gifts and the abilities, all the time you gave into them on this earth will be of no consequence then unless you're pointing them to Jesus. Remember the, the story Jesus told the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man ate and, and fed and, and was, was well. He died and it says he went to hell. There was a poor man also who used to be at his gate and the poor man went to heaven. And the rich man in hell, in torment, cried out, God, yeah, I, I just warn people, warn people, warn my brothers. That, that hell is real, that heaven is real. And, and that Jesus was telling that to say, get your priorities right in life. I, I know a, a, an older woman, and uh, she grew up in, not poverty, but depending on social welfare. She had two children, her husband had long deserted her, and she brought her children up really well. She educated them well. She made sure they had, she, she was a Christian, a godly woman, and pointed them to Jesus. But her children became very, very successful, very successful, far wealthier than any of you here this morning, very much more successful. But they are careless about their Christian faith. And she would say the one regret she has 
is their spiritual desires. She says they are successful in every way except spiritually. And it is her greatest desire. Now, she did her best to point them to Jesus. She was a godly woman. But her prayer is that they would be godly people themselves, and they're not. They're going, they're, they keep connected with church, but really God is secondary in their lives. Her desires for their spiritual well-being. Make sure, parent, that you emphasize, just as Timothy's mother and his grandmother did, put spiritual things first in your children's lives. Eternity lasts forever. If you truly love your children, you will think, where will my children spend eternity? And the best way that the, you can teach your children about the Lord Jesus is not by buying them a, a children's Bible. That's good. I encourage you, certainly do it. It's not just by bringing them to Sunday school. Again, that's good. But it's by living out Jesus before them. Let them see Jesus in you. Let them see Jesus. If your parents make sure that they can see my mom and dad love Jesus. It is the greatest lesson that they can ever learn. Timothy, he seemed to imbibe his faith from his mother and his grandmother. He soaked it in. It wasn't that it, it was transferred to him. He had to make his own personal step of faith in the Lord Jesus to ask Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. Everyone has to do that if they want to be a Christian, if they want to go to heaven and trust Jesus. But it's that he saw in them I want to be like them because they love Jesus. And what do your children see in you? Do they see Jesus or do they see your, your sinful self? Because Paul looked back on, on his heritage and how it had shaped him growing up and, and learning ab about the law and learning about God. And he looked at Timothy's heritage and he saw there's a sincere faith in Timothy that is rich and sweet. As a parent, how are you teaching your children? Timothy's parents shaped him spiritually. They also shaped him personally. And maybe, I, I, I don't know if, if you've been brought up in a godly home. If you have been, then give thanks to God for that, for the background that you have. You, you should, if you grew up in a Christian home, thank God for your parents because they've done their best. Because you can look at other homes that are not Christian, and though they're not evil or sinful, a Christian home is one where they are pointing you to Jesus. And I would say to you this morning, if you're a teenager, if you're a young person, thank God for your, for your parents. Thank God for your mom and dad, if they are Christians. Thank God. And more than that, I would encourage you, I won't force you or push you to do it, but even thank them personally for the way they're bringing you up. They're doing their best. Believe it or not, teenagers, your parents were once like you. They one time knew everything as well. And that changes for some reason when you become older. You, you become dim and you forget things. But when you're a teenager, you know everything. But teenagers, thank God. Even if you don't verbalize it, speak it to your parents, at least say to God, thank God for my mom and my dad and, and pray for them because they're doing their best, believe it or not. 
Well, that, that's what God has to say to us as parents, as grandparents, as, as children. But he also has something to say to us now as individuals. If you're a Christian, God wants to speak to us through his word. And so much of Paul's writing in this letter is to, to Timothy as an individual, looking at his personality, his character, uh, and, and his behavior. And he's looking at, and scholars generally would agree that this Timothy, he seems to have been a very timid person. Um, he was soft-natured. We've already seen that he shed tears in, in separating from Paul, and not everyone did because Paul was, he was awkward to get on with, as I say. But Paul saw something in Timothy that was very precious to him, very, very valuable. Because many people, when they were leaving Paul, it would have been, well, good riddance to him. I know he's a great evangelist, but boy, he is difficult to work with. I can't work with him. But then you look at the person that, that Timothy is, and he says, I thank God for your sincere faith. Now, you can say, you pass by that word very quickly, sincere, that, 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 what's it mean? Well, he doesn't say, Timothy, I thank God for your very strong faith or your very passionate faith or your very dogmatic faith, because these things would have been the, the kind of faith that Paul had. But he says, I thank God for your sincere faith. Because a sincere faith suggested that it was thoughtful, it was gentle, it was earnest. And Paul saw something in Timothy that he could latch on to and appreciate very much. And he was thinking, you may not have the gifts or abilities that others have, perhaps a Barnabas or a Silas, but you have a sweet and a sincere faith that I can, I can connect with and I can appreciate and it shaped his personality. You don't have the gifts of others, perhaps, but you're trustworthy. You mean a lot to me. And then the challenge he's, he's putting down to Paul, he says, um, he, he says, for this reason, I, f I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God that he's given you, the gift of God. There is a challenge, and therefore there's a challenge for us in this as well. He says, Paul, Timothy, God did not give you a spirit of timidity, of, of, but a spirit of, of power, of love, and of self-control, self-discipline. And that's general. It's not just to, to Timothy alone. It's to all of us, this spirit of, of, of love, of power, and of self-control. Timothy was possibly easily discouraged, but he truly loved the Lord. And that meant a lot to Paul, that here's someone I can depend on. Here's someone, when I'm struggling, he will be there for me. And his personality had been shaped by his godly mother and his grandmother. They were Christian women. But it left him being a less forceful man, perhaps, than he should have been. He wasn't that strong, manly man that Paul was. His father was not a believer, it seems. His father was a Gentile, not a follower of Jesus. And it meant that his mother and his grandmother shaped him far more, and it left him a soft-natured person. But he was now in the hands of God, and so Paul was challenging him as to what he was going to do with himself. Is there any place for such a person in God's service? Because if you're familiar with your Bible, you'll know, for example, that Paul had a big falling out with Barnabas. If you read through the Acts of the Apostles, you read and you see 
Paul and Barnabas had such a, a falling out that they went their separate ways. Paul took, took Silas and headed off. Barnabas, he took John Mark and headed off, and they went their separate ways. They could not work together. This was the, the strong, passionate, determined Paul, the dominant personality who probably intimidated a lot of people, and few could work with him. And yet he needed companionship. He needed others to encourage him as well. Enter Timothy. Timothy, the soft-natured guy, who was never going to be a strong leader, but he was a man who could play second fiddle and be comfortable with that. And as I say, few, if any, could work consistently with Paul through his life, but Timothy could. He was God's man for God's purpose. And most would probably have thought of Timothy, well, he's no leader. He's not a person you send out on his own to do things because he'll get trampled on by people. But you could be be sure of one thing about Timothy. He is reliable. If he says he will do something, he is trustworthy. He was a man in the hands of God, and God was now using him. And thank God for Timothy, because without his companionship, Paul would have been struggling on his own, and the gospel would have suffered. The gospel that has reached here, that has reached Brazil, that has reached the Philippines, spread because of a man particularly named Paul. But Paul needed encouragement. Timothy was the man that God sent him. <clears throat> and so it was that this dynamic but difficult Saul of Tarsus, whom we call Paul, was used by God. He had a companion now who was reliable, he was flexible, he was earnest, but he was not dogmatic. They could work together. Timothy was the perfect foil, the, the perfect companion for, for Paul, a man whom God had set apart. God said to Paul when he was converted, I am sending you far away to the Gentiles. You're going to suffer for my name. But Paul was ready to serve God in that way. Paul, the visionary, the leader, the uncompromising apostle, had a disciple whom he could trust. And that should be an encouragement to so many of us, because um, if God can use Timothy, well, God can use me. What does Paul say to Timothy? He says, well, Timothy, you have a gift, and you're not allowed to neglect it. Don't pretend it's not there. You have a responsibility. God has set you apart. You're to use your gifts. No excuses, Timothy. No shrinking back from anything. God has called you. You're to serve him. And if the word of God is eternal, and it is, it is the same challenge to us. God has put a gift to you, and he says, I want you to use it. And God is saying to you, I don't care if you're a timid person, I don't accept that you had a hard upbringing or a difficult childhood, that you're small or you're shy, or you're awkward or backward or you're weak or poor, no excuses. I have a purpose for you. I want you to serve me. You have a place in the kingdom of God. You've been set aside for service. You're mine. And that's why, why I, I, got, I asked Pat to, to read that parable of the talents because it is a serious challenge to us. 
Jesus told the parable of the talents at, at the very end of his life. It was um, at the end of his ministry. He had been teaching people, and, and as, you, as you read through Jesus' life, you see he, he's introducing the gospel, the kingdom of God first. He's building his followers, but as he goes through his life, more and more the teaching becomes challenging and warning, and it's now saying, count the cost. I have taught you the kingdom of God. Now I want you to serve me. And, and to ask yourself, what sort of person are you? Are you loud or are you quiet? Are you busy or are you relaxed? Are you intelligent or slow? Are you studious or active, shy or outgoing? Because God knows all about you. He knows the upbringing you had. He knows the gifts you have. And you may look at others, and I sometimes do when I say, I wish that I had these gifts. I wish I was like, perhaps I wish I could play the guitar. Can't. I could envy others, but God has said, no, you're the person I have to serve me in this situation. And you could say to yourself, but my parents, my home life, everything is against me. God says, no, if I can use a Timothy, I can use you. I wish I was more like such and such. God says, no, I want you the way you are. I have a purpose for you in the kingdom of God. And like Timothy, you are the person that God has available to him. All he wants is that you would serve him. That's all. The scriptures say that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That's not just the... The, the calamities that happen in life, but the person that you are, whether it was your home life or the circumstances elsewhere, God says, I simply want you to serve me. I'm sure that there were times when Paul must have questioned things himself. Remember the, the, <clears throat> the, the, the life of Paul, if you're reading through the Acts of the Apostles, Paul was arrested when he was in the last time in Jerusalem. He was imprisoned briefly there, and then they sent him to Caesarea to, to be shipped off to, um, to Rome to stand before the emperor. But when he got there, there was a, a delay, and Paul was left in prison. And he was left in prison for over two years. And Paul must have thought to himself, what use am I to God in this place? God has called me to go into all the world, whether it's Asia, Europe, Africa, wherever it is. I want to go and tell people, but God says, no, I have a purpose for you. I'm leaving you in prison. Perhaps it was in those circumstances Paul wrote other letters that were an encouragement to others. It was in Paul's time in prison in Rome that he wrote these letters that have been far more effective than any of the evangelism he's ever done. God uses circumstances and situations. Trust him, all things. If you are willing to submit to him, all things work together for your good and for God's glory. Simply trust him, he's saying. You may not be happy with what you feel is available to you, but all God wants is that you're willing to take it and use it for him. Paul said to Timothy, make sure you use the gift that's been entrusted to you. It may have been a supernatural gift that Timothy has, we don't know. It may have been a blessing poured out on him. God has withheld that information, 
but he says, use the gift that you have. And, and so to you and to me this morning, God is saying, you will stand before God one day. Every one of you and me, we will all stand before God. And he will say, I gave you talents. I gave you talents. The, the, the parable that Pat read about the talents, a talent in those days meant a, a unit of weight of gold. A talent of gold was an amount of money, you could say. And, and he gave it to him. And we use the word talent. It became so used all through the ages that the word talent, the, the, the meaning of the word, changed in, in the biblical sense. The Bible influenced the English language to that extent. And a talent then eventually became the gift that God has given you, whatever it is, whether it is money or whether it is your abilities. God has given you a talent. And we will stand before God one day and he'll say, what did you do with the talents I gave you? And you will say, well, I, I'm not a preacher. Uh, so I just thought, well, I'd leave it to others. I don't want to get too involved in church life because I'm not a leader. I, I'm not someone to stand up front and, and, and organize things. I never had any encouragement, you see, Lord. So I hid myself away in the ground. I just stayed in the background and I just sang on a Sunday. I came on Sundays. God says, no, I have called you to serve me. You belong to me. You are responsible. You are accountable for the gifts I've given you. And you could say, but I, I'm too timid. I just don't have the ability. God says, no, I want you to be available and to serve me. Paul would allow no excuse from Timothy and Jesus will allow no excuse from you and me. You see, Timothy and you and me have been endued with the same spirit of power and love and self-control. It's given to all. It may not be as evident in you as in others, but it is still there within you. The Holy Spirit who enables you to overcome your inabilities and your fears and it may take a long time to work out in your life, but God wants to use you. Because <clears throat> it's not your personality that God is depending on. It is your soul, your heart, your willingness to serve him. And when, when Paul speaks of power and, and love and self-control, he doesn't mean the power of a dominant personality, but he means the power, the confidence in the God whom you're serving. Weak as you feel, God has empowered you to serve him. And when he speaks of love, it's not that you may feel, well, I don't relate softly and gently and easily with people. I'm not, I'm not a, an emotional person. I, I feel awkward. God says, it is love for the gospel of Jesus Christ that will slowly transform your life. And he will. And the self-control he's talking about is the willingness to submit yourself to God's calling. He calls us to take control of our laziness, of our reluctance and our fears, and remind ourselves that we have an obligation to serve the Lord. And so what are we going to do with all this information that, that Paul wrote to Timothy, but we apply it to ourselves? Do we toss it aside and say, well, I don't want to know about this? Just to be aware that one day, that story of the talents at the end of the day, at the end of eternity, we will stand before the Lord and we will hear one of two words that Pat read out earlier. It will be one of 
you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I was calling you to serve me, and yet you hid your talents in the ground. Or will it be those, those rich words that Jesus speaks? He says, well done, good and faithful. Well done, good and faithful. And, and let, it, let me challenge you today that you want to hear the Lord Jesus say those words to you. Well done, good and faithful. We're going to end by, by singing um, the song, It is well with my soul. And I hope you can say that this morning. It is well with your soul that you're able to serve the Lord. Let's stand and sing that.